Well, I just want to drop this here because I'm not done uh, the book. Uh, reading, uh, trying to read everything that Neil Postman has written. I think he's the uh, the spiritual successor to Marsha McLuhan. Uh, I thought for sure I was going to be that, but no, uh, Neil Postman is excellent. And just to give you an example, uh, his book, I was actually hesitating at first because I didn't think it would apply, his book about uh, childhood. Absolutely apropos. And in it, he says something that I thought was so profound. He didn't even realize how profound it was. At the time, he was talking about um, TV's influence on culture and, and uh, who we are and how we think. And he mentioned this little thought seed, the merging, the possible or likelihood, the merging of the religious man with the commercial man. And what he meant by that is the merging of the priest or the guru with the uh, snake oil salesman, right? When uh, he was originally talking about news and how <clears throat> he found it distasteful that the news um, presenters, right? He talked about Dan Rather when he was first signed on for millions of dollars to read the news. But he said he found it distasteful when uh, these news uh, outlets, uh, media, accept award for their their productions they act as if they're educating the public when in reality they're entertaining goes back to the romans right uh, are you entertained he talked about debates and how uh people just uh know who they like and who they don't like not policies not uh, ideas not uh, potential potentialities but this merging of the religious man and the commercial man, that has absolutely happened, right? Uh, so it's a thought for me. I've talked about this for a while as the religious man, in a sense, meaning I've found my path to healing a number of different diseases, a number of different issues, uh, one of which is trauma, which, by the way, once again, Neil Postman has made me realize that in his book about childhood, uh, that is the problem, right? Uh, because the lines between childhood and adulthood have blurred to the point where children are being advertised to and understand adult concepts by the age of seven because of this visual medium that we're, uh, we're uh, dropping on everyone, which is so true. Uh, there's a discussion that the current generations uh, can't pay attention to something unless there's something moving. I, I make a joke that I wondered why one of my sumo casts had a couple of little digital avatars bouncing around on the screen. And um, I thought it was to get over uh, to, to avoid, uh, you know, censorship because they were uploading uh, NHK feeds to the uh, social medias. But what it actually is, is uh, this, this person was of the younger generation. And I guess just for them, if there isn't enough action, they need, you know, <laughs> this constant movement. Uh, like I've said before, um, I didn't understand why uploading a podcast to YouTube, right? Why it had to have video. And I understand now because no one's going to watch it if it doesn't have video. Uh, I was uploading with just like a, the audio uh, 
bars bouncing up and down, but that just isn't enough to keep people's interests. And I laugh because Neil Postman was talking about how uh, the television has actually reduced our ability for this sort of uh, focus and concentration. And I wonder, maybe because it was so early on, he didn't run into, say, someone of my generation, Gen X, where I've actually, believe it or not, once I've come to learn how to read and think and, and uh, absorb ideas, um, I think having grown up with television, not in television alone, again, before social media, but again, I think because the internet came out when I was in uh, early high school or late grade school, there was this already this multimedia transformation of education. Uh, television, not a big part of school, but I think because uh, of my particular disability being dyslexic, because I had to learn by listening, and I guess in no small part visually as well, because I think I'm a visual um, thinker, uh, I think what it's actually allowed me to do is what I've talked about before. I think the solution to dyslexia is when you get into something that you need to picture. Don't be like that one um, uh, therapist who has uh, kids sculpt letters and numbers out of clay. I actually think what I've gone and done is I've been able to imagine the the written word. Uh, for me, more often than not, it's uh, the verbal word, right? Because I much prefer audiobooks. Uh, because I'm able to actually picture in my mind. And this was discussed by Neil uh, Postman. He says, this is a learned habit. I've talked about this in other podcasts, so my theory is very sound. Um, uh, reading, physical reading of a book or even an e-book, is a learned uh, skill, habit, affect, because it requires so much attention. And he even mentions, like I did, uh, it's, it's hilarious that we expect children to be able to sit still for as long as we do when it comes to school or reading. And I think he missed, missed the idea because, again, it was really early days when he was writing this stuff in the 80s and then the early 2000s, because even for me, it was only because I had access to it uh, either through the, uh, the Institute for the Blind they opened up. I didn't access their audiobooks, but I, I was familiar with how much they had because, as I said, I, I, I volunteered to do reading and such uh, for the blind, right? You'd read books, you'd read textbooks, whatever the, the blind would need. But I found out that they actually were open to allowing people with uh, disabilities to use them as well, like dyslexia as an example. Uh, but it, fast forward to when I was a banker, that's when I knew about audiobooks and I knew and I found out by asking, only by asking, lo and behold, uh, that yes, they had audiobooks available. Uh, same as I said, uh, I have a commercial uh, driver's license uh, in Canada. We, we call it an AZ. It's called the commercial driver's license, the CDL in other parts. Um, I got that after being a banker for uh, a number of uh, say decades, but um, just, you know, adventure, enjoy the uh, Canadian North, uh, you know, I guess I watch too much Ice Road Truckers, or, but all kidding aside, um, I wrote my test again, we have to rewrite, recertify every uh, few years, and this last time was terrible, because they've added probably 50% more content because of new legislation that's come out, because there's been some really horrible accidents in the last five years. 
And I did okay. I got 59 out of 60 because I spent uh, a week or two studying, right? Because I had to do it. Uh, I had the, uh, the, the books for studying with the new rules were digitally. So I had to read them on a computer. And oh boy, well, that, was, that was tough. That was a lot of... But I just learned to just calm down. I'll just go over it over and over and over until finally uh, it, it sinks in. And it did. Right. So what I ended up having to do was uh, convert the visual medium from the digital sphere. Uh, I think it's similar to the uh, physical book, convert that into back into the data uh, from the visual uh, back into data in the mind. And then for me, I have to convert that into a visual idea in the mind. But uh, I, I did okay on the test, but it wasn't until after I found out that, oh, yes, yeah, you know, you can get the test. Uh, you know, there's an audio version of the test. You don't have to read it on a computer screen, right? Because it it's not paper anymore. You have to do it on a computer. But they didn't bother telling me that I could get it, uh, you know, as, uh, as audio. But that's where I think Neil Postman uh, would maybe be watching this transformation because I've talked about this many times before that in the last say we'll say 10 years and the rise of ebooks um we thought that would change people's reading but no actually what in most and i'm being broad but the numbers do hold uh, this that reading has pretty much stayed the same so yes people are adopting ebooks but they've dropped the physical books right they're about the same Right, uh, you would think the 20 50 percent increase in reading with this convenience now, you don't have to, you know, as well as apps that uh, make it a little bit more affordable. I've seen how much it can cost for people who are uh, avid readers of physical books, uh, but in the same time period, audiobooks have exploded. So, I think what Neil um, Postman might have missed is that if you do learn uh, to read. You're forced uh, to read, and uh, it has such an incredible amount of uh, focus uh, required, as well as the uh, uh, conversion of the visual medium of uh, written language into uh, the verbal, and then into a visual once again in the brain. Because remember, on the page, um, it's, it's a visual medium, right? Because the, the letters represent sounds. The sounds represent, again, a visual, an idea, right? So because it requires that much heavy lifting in the brain, I argue once you get over the initial hurdle of audiobooks, it actually cuts out that step because I'm getting the, the verbal data stream instead of the visual data stream that I have to convert into the verbal, which then uh, denotes or, you know, represents the visual, I'm getting the audio directly. So I cut out a step completely, especially for someone who's dyslexic or uh, has issues uh, when it comes to uh, deciphering, say on a computer, in my case, particularly, right, to reading a book, I can do it. It takes me exponentially longer than other people, but I could read a physical book for some reason. And we, I've done the research and it is part of the, uh, the disability. Uh, but on a computer, my gosh, like go back five, five or six years ago. Um, I can only really watch what Neil Postman's talking about. I can only really watch visual uh, medias on a computer. I wasn't reading anything except maybe the title 
uh, barely even the description to say a video uh, on the interwebs. But fast forward to today, um, I think not being, well, I guess I shouldn't say that, uh, uh, being forced to embrace audiobooks if I wanted to read or, or, or understand or even uh, learn about some of these different uh, issues. What I learned to realize is that unlike most people, uh, I think I've realized that uh, audiobooks are arguably a, a much, uh, much more efficient means of communication. I mean, look how long we were in oral tradition uh, as uh, the human experience goes, right? Our history. And I think that in no small part it has to do with this, right? The Greek um, tradition of theater, of, uh, of uh, the two Greek tragedies, um, arguably why uh, visual media is so um, impactful, right? Uh, because look at a book, right? Uh, a book is not visually or emotionally impactful. The ideas that are codified in the book, in the writing, right? So how this relates to that statement that he said, I think now that commercial men and, and, and religious men have merged and you combine the idea that your consumer, which is what we all are, we're all consuming, right? We're consuming whatever it may be on our path when you combine that with the fact that most of us aren't really thinking beings for the most part, I've talked about this before in previous podcasts, right? This uh, system one and system two thinking, right? Most of us walk around uh, as like an autonomic sort of reactionary being, right? Uh, I gave the example of when you go to the grocery store, uh, and you don't really pay attention. And, and I mean, I've done that recently, just in the last couple trips, uh, I've paid for our groceries, but because it wasn't an extreme amount, I didn't really notice. And I even forgot. I mean, I left one place I had paid, it cost $27, but I couldn't remember how much the bill was. Now, if I had gone up to the cash register and that $27 bill, which I'm, I'm assuming I would have known would have been in the range of 20 to $35 sort of idea. But if it had come out at $270, well, that would have snapped me out of my system one or my autonomic or my automatic, I should say, I apologize, my automatic thinking set and uh, my higher order thinking would have been engaged. Right? And so the argument here is, uh, Neil Postman says that because everything's so short, right, a debate, it's like, here, you got 30 seconds. It's, that's not Neil Postman. It was actually someone giving a review to one of his books who mentions exactly this, right? What are you going to get? Like, here, you have 30 seconds. What's your uh, response to this, um, you know, idea? 30 seconds, right? And here we are today. Uh, we have uh, 60 seconds, 45 seconds, little shorts on the social media that they're trying to push us towards. They've created this. I saw it with social media. They were discouraging people from doing long form content, right? They're less than 10 minutes and then, oh, less than five minutes. And now this 60 second videos when we're seeing 
that there is a market for long form content, but it's not uh, the vast majority of people. So I argue all of this is a slow creep. So luckily the good news is it's not all negative. Yes, we tend to uh, very lazily absorb information, but I don't think it's all negative, right? I, I gave an example before that I've noticed a lot of um, newspaper articles uh, allow you to listen to the article. And a lot of people may say, well, that's, you know, lazy, whatever. But I don't think so. I think it really is a combination of um, uh, realizing that we're all very atypical. We all learn our particular way. And there's many people who aren't comfortable reading an article online for many, many different reasons and might be more comfortable to listen. And like I've said, I think actually, for the most part, we could actually grok more. Uh, we can uh, understand more uh, from, uh, well, any sort of media or any sort of uh, data stream. Uh, we'd understand more if it came uh, auditorially. Can I say that? Or verbally? Uh, yeah. Um, now, cognitive dissonance gets into this. I've talked about this over and over again. So remember when I said Neil Postman said that uh, reading is not a natural affect, right? We have to learn to sit and focus. It's the same as audiobooks. I've said this and I gave a, I, I did a podcast specifically about uh, the potential of, of uh, audiobooks. So imagine if we actually taught ourselves to focus, like force ourselves to focus. And that's the bottleneck here. Right? We are forced to sit and read a book because that's all you can do. I mean, you can't, most people can't even read a book uh, in a car or on a bus or on a train, right? Because there's too much jostling. So imagine you're absolutely forced to sit still, which is beneficial. It really is. It helps you absorb that information because it's the only thing you're doing, the amount of energy that has to be applied to focus. But imagine if we did that with an audiobook. Or even in my case, this is where I say that it develops a greater um, uh, ability to focus. Uh, I mean, we, there isn't really multitasking, but you can certainly, uh, you can certainly, uh, I think, follow me here, I think you can engage the uh, higher order self. Uh, in in a way that uh, you can still make use of the automatic self. And what I mean by that is uh, the rise of uh, listening to podcasts on commutes, right? Your, your automatic brain is doing the driving. Your higher self is listening to the podcast or audiobooks for me. If I want full and complete focus, I will wear both uh, earbuds or ear uh, cups on my ears and I will up the speed. Now, if I'm going to do some multitasking, right, nothing terribly intense. It might just be some perusing of a, of a section of text in another book that uh, I've already read. So I'm just doing some, uh, you know, secondary uh, reading to do some highlighting and uh, make some notes. Uh, I might be listening to an audiobook at the same time, right? So 
I think you go from being automatic, like listening to an audiobook or a podcast while doing the dishes. You can get to the point where you could be doing other things. I can watch uh, a second uh, video and I can grok the information from both the audiobook and the YouTube video. I can hang out with the wife listening to an audiobook. And I think that has to do with the fact that if it's just as easy for the human creature to become less aware and less focused and less um, uh, inquisitive, as Neil Postman says, that we don't think uh, anymore, we don't uh, question things anymore, we become much more reactionary, much more emotional as opposed to, to uh, logical. Uh, I think we can learn the opposite. I think the same can be said that with the right motivation, right? In my case, I didn't have a choice, but for many others, if you can uh, put together the motivation to do it in spite of not needing to, I think we can reverse this uh, because the example would be is not uncommon. It's not common, but it's not uncommon to see people who um, devour three-hour content. And before I started talking about some verboten things, um, uh, I was quite shocked to hear that the average person, the videos that I was uploading to YouTube, I was shocked to find out that the average uh, views are like 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And, and my average views were 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Uh, but again, it didn't help uh, the, the, uh, the algorithm for YouTube because most of my uh, podcasts then were, you know, 60 minutes, an hour and 30 minutes, you know what I mean? So uh, 15 minutes was uh, 15 or 30 times longer than the average uh, view, but it was still only a, a fraction of the actual video. So YouTube's algorithm was so brilliant. They're like, okay, so what should we pri prioritize? The fact that they only watch 10% of the video, which is 10 times more than, you know, uh, like if you're only watching 30 seconds of a two minute video, yeah, that's a quarter of the video. Why would you prioritize that level of, uh, of uh, satisfaction with the content over someone who might spend 15 minutes on a video? Even if it's an hour long, they spent 15 minutes listening to it, right? I laugh because uh, I've said before, it's tough for the viewership on the podcast because they'll include uh, views um, that are only of, up to, what is it, sorry, uh, 60 minutes, 60 seconds, sorry, or longer is considered a view. I guess in this day and age, people know whether they want to listen uh, within 60 seconds. But 15 minutes speaks to uh, interest, uh, to satisfaction, uh, to uh, positive reception of, of some content, whereas... 60 seconds, 30 seconds, uh, watching a video. I mean, I don't care if it's, if it's a half of the video. I'm sorry, if the video is only 60 seconds long, then, then I would hope that every moment of that is, is, uh, is worth the time. Otherwise, why would you bother at all? Right? I have talked about this a million times, right? Tell your story because it'll be somebody's uh, you know, survival guide someday, right? So 
that to me, I just love this idea that a religious man has, uh, has merged with the commercial man and media man, newsman. They're all commercial man, right? Uh, like I said, I mentioned, I was watching this one uh, gentleman, he's a teacher and he was reviewing one of Neil Postman's books and, and he said, he's right. He's just got a tiny little YouTube channel. Um, but he's acting as well. I found it funny because, you know, he was talking about that all media is acting, but remember what Carl Jung talked about, the idea of uh, persona, right? This face that we may uh, make, I guess, but this face that we wear. So we're always, right? As, as Shakespeare said, all the world is a stage and we're but players upon it. And that is so true. We're all playing a part. And I've said this before, I much prefer, uh, rather than the theater, right, the, uh, the, the uh, tragedy and uh, uh, pathos, uh, these different masks, I like the idea uh, that the Japanese have, right? Your persona, right? So you have a mask that you wear uh, broadly for, for most of society to see and, and people that you don't know, strangers and such. Uh, there's a certain persona you wear, a certain personality, a mask that you wear for them. Then you have another mask. You uh, take off that mask and underneath it, you have another mask that uh, you only share with people you trust and people you love. It's a different uh, form of yourself, a different version, a different persona. Uh, and, but I argue there's a third. There's a third persona that you only share with yourself and maybe even parts of that self that you don't even explore, right? Here we go again to the Nothisotan of Know Thyself. And when you go into those deeper aspects of your unshared self, you find your shadow. You find the monsters that lie hidden. Because I've said this a million times and becoming a bit of a a cliche uh, myself, but uh, how can you restrain these monsters if you uh, don't admit to their existence within oneself? But worse yet, you don't explore truly how those demons, those jinns, those spirits, uh, whatever you'd want to call them within you, the negative uh, aspects, if you don't look, to see how it influences your everyday decisions, then you're amongst those that uh, believe, and you'd be right, that free will doesn't exist. As I've said, I like to quote Carl Jung when he said, uh, sometimes we need to leave reason aside to explore the sense and nonsense, but that requires first that we are conscious, conscious, present, and aware creatures. And that's where most of the evil in this world can be sourced two or I guess either way. It's the fact that most people walk around completely unconscious, right? So to break out of this is to be aware of your own persona, understand that everyone else is a persona, work within that. But that's the kenosis, that Greek word, which is to empty, to, to, to empty oneself. That's exactly what we're doing. I mean, if you could get to the point where your persona was absolutely as close to who you are, then that would be a win. That's the opposite of what Neil Postman's getting at, is that the religious man isn't about 
grace isn't about truth, isn't about uh, awe or inspiration or ritual or right, but they're just a player upon a stage. So it's not even a merging of commercial man. There is no separation between media, religion, commercial man, or the private citizen, right? We're all affects, right? Uh, we're all uh, Ajivakans. I've, I've mentioned this before. It was a, it's a, it's a died-off sect from, from India around the time of the Jainists and the Buddhists and the Vedantins. Uh, the Ajivakans were these, these, these individuals who thought, didn't matter what you do, life was all predetermined, um, it's just going to happen to you, right? Complete nihilism, complete apathy. Uh, but what's beautiful about it is uh, within Buddhism, there's the story that uh, after uh, the Buddha's enlightenment, one of the first uh, people that he came across was an Ajivakan. And he was so um, uh, enthralled with his, his, his look of peace and contentment, right? The, the, the thing that we're all seeking, right? This, that's what Ajivakans... Uh, it's supposed to be. It's like the eternal return of, of, of Nietzsche, the Amrafate. If you accept everything, right? Stoicism, uh, Pyrrhonism, Taoism, uh, Buddhism. If you accept tantric Buddhism even, right? You accept life as it's given, good or bad, without the labels. Then you should be happy. You should be content, Right? But here's an Ajivakan, someone who believes there's nothing in life. Life is what it is. Just accept it. Embrace it as it is. Right? Nothing you can do to change your, uh, your lot or the outcome. Well, that should make you very content is the argument. But here is an individual that might make the case of uh, my buddy Albert Camus that even when you do believe that life is inherently meaningless or absurd or uh, it's pure suffering you still need to find within that some meaning some value right and that requires context it requires awareness it requires presence and so when and i steal this again from uh, the psychology of totalitarianism when we walk around uh, borrowing identities, right? Uh, these stories that other people tell that we're believing in, instead of creating for ourselves our mythos, right? Uh, stories that we tell that, that we believe in, right? They don't have to be true. I steal that from Secondhand Lines, Robert Duvall's speech, right? Some of the most important things in life that we need to believe in not necessarily are true, but that doesn't matter, right? But to believe that good triumphs over evil is something that we must believe in, that love, true love, conquers all. I'm sorry. Even if I know that's not true, that's still something I'm going to believe in. You want to call it a mantra if you want. It doesn't matter. I've said this before. It's ritual alone. And when we've stripped out the, the awe, the wonder, and even the ritual itself becomes hollow and meaningless. That's where we find ourselves. Where arguably, rather than seeing 
a celebration of the individual and, and our diversity, we're actually becoming homogeneous entities without agency. So where do we go from here? I think it's time for a renaissance of education, of enlightenment, of meaning, of creation, of agency. I think we need to start appreciating what really matters. Stop with the aesthetics. Start paying attention to, to the gravitas. What truly matters in life is that we are greater than the sum of our parts. We are the gestalt. Right? So we need to stop trying to punish ourselves for being what we are and start embracing. Because in so doing, we can find our way through and maybe even overcome the limits of our lot. But until we embrace Are we really, are we even operating on the same plane, really? <laughs> we like to argue about different, different uh, universes because so few of us even exist within our own. If you don't have what you, you want, you, sh you should want what you have. I mean, that's a lesson that's millennia old. I guess I'll just lay that on you for today. Uh, I can't recommend Neil Postman uh, more highly that, right, as, as the one reviewer said, is what, what is a book from 1983 going to tell me today? Oh, my gosh. He couldn't have been more prophetic. He's like uh, Marshall McLuhan, this idea that would, there'd come a time when we'd no longer vet the benefits derived from new technology and we just adopt it because it's new. And that can be applied to, to our religion, to our faith, to our technology, to our society, to our culture, to our language. And what we've seen is a slow degradation of who and what we are. And again, I blame it on commercialism, not solely, but if you think about it, if your goal is to advertise products, you don't you just make it as simple as possible. It's advertising products, right? Widgets, doesn't matter what the product is, you're just advertising to the, the, the populace. Advertising to the people, so what do you do? Can you make them? as close to homogeneous as you can. No, but you can make them think, right? Imagine one of the most popular beverages being food coloring and carbon dioxide and sugar. That's all an affect of advertising, right? Nothing more. We've, we haven't been programmed 
to believe we need these products. We've pro- been programmed to believe we are the consumers of these products when in reality we're not. I mean, uh, I don't know why. I, get, I always go back to Friedrich Nietzsche's um, quote, the idea that the reason why we attribute our great accomplishments to an uh, external source is because we don't have the necessary faith in oneself. We don't realize that we have this infinite potential if we'd have faith in ourselves. I'm the worst for it. Here I am sitting a couple days actually feeling healthy for the first time in 20 years. It's amazing. Um, but the first day I, I was just in shock because I've never, never had this happen to the point where I'm, I'm actually feeling good. I'm not having major issues. And I was waiting for the other shoe to drop because it has happened to me in the past. Uh, and then boom, something terrible happens. Uh, it's the health, right? But I have been making major changes. In fact, to be honest, it's the, uh, Jung's reversion to the opposite, the antidromia. Just a little window. I went years uh, living as a vegan thinking that would help uh, my uh, disease and our lifestyle. And now I'm in my second or third month of, of uh, ketovore or technically carnivore. Right? And it wasn't until I got the right balance of fats and, and proteins in check that you know I really wasn't seeing the healing. But here I am, right? Reversion to the opposites. And I'm feeling the first feeling the first healing. But what I've come to realize is, well, what do I do now? Right? I've been trapped for 10 or 15 years, a victim of the healthcare system. I kid, but until I embraced my own healing, right? I didn't feel liberated. I didn't feel like I had a path going forward. I didn't have hope. But it did give me hope. But what happens now that that's no longer my purpose, my meaning? If I've found a way to get this disease in check, well, what do I do now? What's next? I think that's the answer. What's next is we ask that question. Right? When you're listening to something, when you're watching something, when you're thinking about something, the question, what does this mean? What's next? What are their motivations? What are their intentions? What are my motivations? What are my intentions? And how does that apply to them, to myself, to us, broadly? I've said this before. I didn't really realize how it would all come back full circle. Trauma. Trauma. Meaning value, right? Uh, I never understood why so many gurus are just phonies, but they either don't value the message or they have other values. They're just trying to enrich themselves or their, their ego. Because if you're like me and you value the message of trying to liberate the trapped, you don't think of taking advantage of the same people you're trying to liberate. But as I've said before, well, that's why the greatest gurus are never really (laughs) known about because they're the least likely to, uh, to laud their achievements, their accomplishments or their benefits. 
it takes your followers to do the same. But again, if you're actually helping people heal, even the people following you uh, tend to not have the time to, uh, to advertise. But let's find the balance, the middle way.